Coming up, two truths and a lie, D-backs edition. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, which is a look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks, your first listen every day. Would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. As I mentioned in segment number one, I want to do two truths and a lie, Dimebacks edition. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming series against the Chicago Cubs. I got a few things that. I'm monitoring as we enter this weekend series against Chicago, and then we'll wrap up the pod with the finale with Sully Baseball discussing games in London. Should MLB fans care about them at all? So we're going to be talking about international games and Major League Baseball, but let's first start with two truths and a lie, D-backs edition. So you guys, after I give the two truths and a lie, you can pause the video, do whatever you need to do to figure out which one's the lie. So let's jump right into it. The first one, the first statement, Seth Beer is one for his last 38, one hit in his last 38 at-bats. Number two, D-backs pitchers can't finish innings or they struggle to finish innings with two outs. Number three, D-backs pitchers have the lowest contact percentage in the National League. Now we'll do the door the Explorer pause and give you guys a couple Mississippis. Okay, you guys ready? The one that was a lie there is D-back starters have the lowest contact percentage in the National League. That is not true. The D-backs uh, pitching staff has the highest contact percentage in the National League, not just their starters, but their overall staff have the highest contact percentage in the league. So not the lowest, but the exact opposite, actually. So let's go through each statement and talk about each one. The first truth that I gave you guys was Seth Beer is one for his last 38. That is unfortunately true. Seth Beer is... In a, in a prolonged slump, about two and a half, three weeks slump right now. And he was someone that was top three in my trustworthy rankings. I did those like about three weeks ago now. I believe I had him, Kyle Nelson, and one other guy. I think Joe Mantiply I had in there. Or maybe not. There was one other guy that I had in there that I couldn't remember. It might have been Ketel Marte. But Seth Beer was definitely in those trustworthy rankings. He was definitely in the top three. He might have been my most trustworthy guy. He might have been number two behind Merrill Kelly now that I think about it. But I had to do the trustworthy ranking today. I want to do it maybe the 25th, the next D-backs off day. I think it's the 25th of May. I think that's the next time I'm going to update my trustworthy rankings. And Seth Beer probably won't be on there. One hit, one run, one RBI since April 23rd. He's been in a big-time funk. And the offense for the team has been pretty good since entering May, despite Seth Beer really struggling at the plate. The offense for the D-backs since entering May 767 OPS as a team. And now with Alec Thomas on the roster, you have to wonder what kind of playing time is Seth Beer going to continue to see as the season progresses? Because you got to think when there's a righty on the mound, 
Tori Lavello can go with an all-lefty outfield of Dalton Varsho, David Peralta, and Alec Thomas. You know who's not mentioned in that outfield? Paven Smith. So guess where you can play Paven? You can play him at first base. Now, maybe you still have Seth Beer at DH. Maybe you don't. It really depends how the D-backs want to play this lineup. Maybe they feel like Christian Walker deserves to be a DH that day. Or maybe you still keep Christian Walker at first base and put Pavin Smith at DH that day if you feel like he gives you a better opportunity to win. If you think Walker and Pavin Smith is a better duo against that righty than Seth Beer and Pavin Smith or Seth Beer and Christian Walker. So it really depends now that the D-backs have such a influx of lefties on this team it makes you wonder what kind of playing time Seth Beer is going to continue to get you also have Josh Rojas in the mix now he plays third base so that kind of eliminates Seth Beer from maybe potentially playing third base that was kind of kicked around at least on D-backs Twitter earlier this year where the when the when the D-backs were getting no production on third base a lot of people want to see Seth Beer pick up a glove even though he's terrible defensively they're like just put him over there his bat is so good the offense doesn't do anything it's not like the defense could get any worse but it's hard to see a role for Seth Beer right now, at least an everyday role. I still think he's going to get playing time. I still think he's going to be doing DH or backing up Christian Walker in certain days. But I would like to see him get back on track because I still don't think the D-backs have an above 500 record without Seth Beer. We talked about it at nauseum. I think I say that word nauseum, at nauseum on this podcast. Seth Beer has been responsible for a few wins this season. The walk-off, he's had a couple big uh, clutch hits in other games, been able to put some runs on the board earlier in the season. But now that he's struggling, I do want to see him get back into the groove he was before. I think the D-backs are going to be patient with him. Maybe they send him back to the minor leagues eventually if this slump continues for another couple weeks. But remember, we got to be patient with Seth Beer just because it is his first full-time opportunity in the big leagues. He had a cup of coffee last season before he got hurt. So you can't really count that too much. The sample size was too small. And so far this season, he started the year really hot, has been really cold since then. I would like to see what his baseline level is because he was so good to start and because he's been so bad the last couple of weeks. I really don't know where Seth Beer falls in between that, what kind of level of player he really is. So I think we're still going to see him get opportunities on the major league level but I think they're going to start to dwindle as the D-backs play other guys like Alec Thomas and the Rojas's and Paven Smith's more but if Beard does start to heat up on the days he does play then maybe he can overtake like a Paven Smith for that DH spot or you know just get a little bit more playing time where you look at Seth Beer as that first option instead of Paven Smith when there's a righty on the mound depending on how Tori Lovello uh, tinkers with the lineup because there's so many different combinations they can do when it comes to righty and lefty cross matchups. The second truth I got I gave you guys was D-backs pitchers can't finish innings with two outs. Now they can obviously finish innings with two outs, but they struggle to do that because D-backs pitchers in 2022 have a 758 OPS and a 274 average allowed with two outs. That is not good at all. And when it's two outs and runners in scoring position, it gets even worse. It gets nightmarish actually. 297 average allowed and 832 OPS allowed with two outs and runners in scoring position. That's when you really need to buckle down as a pitcher, but somehow the D-backs have really struggled in the area, and it's been the good D-backs pitchers and the bad D-backs pitchers that have struggled with two outs. We know Mark Melanson. He's probably been the king of the two-out hit, the two-out RBI single given up, because if you look at his numbers, he's given up five hits over 27 at-bats with one out or less. I'll say it again. Five hits over 27 at-bats with one out or less, but 13 hits in 21 at-bats when there's two outs, 13 hits in 21 at-bats when there's two outs, just five hits with one out or less all season. 
And guess what? When it's two outs or runners in scoring position, he's given up seven hits and 12 at-bats. And he's not the only one. Like I mentioned, not just their bad pitchers, but even the best of the best when it comes to D-backs pitchers haven't even been that clean or crisp when it comes to two-out situations because you don't have to look any further than maybe the favorite for the NL Cy Young Award, at least top three, Merrill Kelly, has a 678 or 768 OPS and a 291 average allowed with two outs. Think about that. Merrill Kelly, who has been dominant all season long, 768 OPS and 291 average allowed with two outs. And when it's one out or less, it's like a 200 average and a 500 OPS. Merrill Kelly's dominant when there's one out or less, but when there's two outs, you can really get to Merrill Kelly. So seeing two outs and... Pitchers give up hits. Pitchers give up RBIs, especially with runners in scoring position. Is I always talk about what's the most frustrating thing to watch. What's the biggest pet peeves you can watch when watching your favorite team? Uh, that's one of them. That's very high on the list. Anything that happens whenever there's action or damage given up, when there's two outs on the board, you just feel like an idiot because you're only one batter away from getting out the inning, especially when it was like... Two outs and no one on. And then all of a sudden, you get two outs and maybe there's a man on first and second and then you give up a double. And now two guys score two outs because they're running hella aggressive already. It has to be one of the most frustrating things to watch during a baseball game, especially your favorite team. Two outs, damage. Two out runs given up. Frustrating. Two outs, hits given up are frustrating. If it's just one single, it's fine. But when you give up multiple hits in a row wins two outs, especially when the game is close and on the line, like we were talking about yesterday, it's annoying when your starter has a great six, seven innings. You just need to get those final six outs and you're relieved and you don't have enough confidence in your bullpen to get it done. Another thing that's annoying is when you have two outs on the board and you just have to get away from this inning to maybe win the ball game or at least put the hands or at least put the ball in the hands of your best pitcher, maybe your closer after that, and your guy can't come through when there's two outs on the board. Those two situations are one of the most two frustrating things to watch as a baseball fan, specifically when it's your favorite team. And then the last thing I want to talk about, which is a lie. The D-backs have the lowest contact percentage in the National League. No, they actually have the highest contact percentage given up by their pitchers because D-backs pitchers, surprisingly, um, you wouldn't think they have the highest contact percentage allowed just because the rotation this year is second best in baseball, but most of their pitchers, rotation and bullpen, like to pitch to contact. Like you look at their starters, like the Zach Davies, the Merrill Kellys, the Humberto Castellanos. They all pitch to contact. Mark Melanson, Ian Kendi. A lot of these guys are single ball pitchers, guys who can't throw very hard. So they need a pitch to contact. Hopefully, induced ground balls, lazy fly balls. That's kind of what they need to happen to be really effective pitchers. And so far, it's worked out for the D backs because 274 batting average on balls in play this season, which means they've been getting away all year which means they're actually pitching well when the ball's in place uh, when the ball's in play the average of those balls are really low so it's making sense like they're when when the d-backs pitchers are giving up the contact it's going right to the defense and they're producing the weak contact that you want to see from the pitchers when they're pitching the contact so they're getting the results that they want to see and it also means the defense needs to be on point because if you're pitching a contact there's going to be a lot of ground balls. There's going to be a lot of fly balls. you got to have a very good, solid, stable defense behind you. And the D-backs defense can be pretty hit or miss at times. If you have Rojas and Perdomo on the left side of the infield, your defense is going to be elite. If you got Paven Smith in right field, your, uh, your defense is going to be kind of shaky. So it really depends who's out there on the field, on the diamond, when it comes to uh, defense behind these pitchers because these pitchers love to pitch to contact. But so far, it's worked for the staff. So... 
Uh, I can't get too mad at them. I would rather them strike out people because the strikeout percentage for the D-backs um, rotation and bullpen is pretty low in baseball. I think it's they have a top three worst strikeout percentage in the National League, but they're pitching to contact. They're getting out, so not allowing runs to score, so I can't be too mad. So two truths and a lie, D-backs edition. Now, I want to talk to you guys about things I'm going to be watching for this weekend against the Chicago Cubs, but before we get there, before we get to the weekend, I'm, you know, I'm a little tired from the work week and I think I need a boost. And the best place to get a boost is built.com because they have these things called built bars, which gives you a, a bigger boost than anything you can eat because it's a protein bar, not a candy bar. But that's the thing about them. You think that you're eating a candy bar. I'm a health conscious guy. I try to work out every day. I try to, you know, get in the gym, lose some weight, get in shape. But my biggest issue is I have a sweet tooth. I love candy. I love junk food. And Built Bar comes in handy because it tricks me. I think that I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, great for that keto diet. If you want your own Built Bar, just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast, recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts, taking fans through the season like no other network, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast, actually, and let's discuss things I'm watching for against the Chicago Cubs before our finale with Sully Baseball, talking about, uh, you know, basically baseball going back across the pond and playing games in London. If I could do a British accent, I would have right there. Going back across the pond, uh, across the pond. I, I just don't have it. Can I get a cup of tea, sir? We're going back across the pond to play some baseball. That's my best uh, British accent. It's really bad. It's really terrible. But let's talk about things I'm watching for against the Chicago Cubs. So just ignore my British accent because there's a few things I'm watching for. We'll see how long we spend on them if we could get to all things because I have five things written down here. And I might talk too long because that first segment went like 12 and a half minutes, which I didn't expect. So let's see how many things we could get through here that I have written down. The first thing. Can the D-backs continue to prove that they belong here? When I mean, do they belong here? I mean, in the wild card race, do they belong in contention for, you know, one of the wild card spots, playoff contention? Do they deserve to be in the conversation when we're saying, let's look at the playoff field and teams that can make the postseason and at least be playoff contenders, not World Series contenders, but playoff contenders. What is that field looking like? Do the D-backs deserve to be in that conversation? I think a weekend series like the Chicago Cubs, if you take two out of three, you are starting to assert yourself into that conversation. They're already kind of there. We've talked about it with Silly Baseball. I mean, they're two games above 500, but the Chicago Cubs present another good test because it's not like they're a great team. The Chicago Cubs, I think, aren't going to be a very good team. I think by the end of the season, they're going to have one of the five worst records in Major League Baseball. And you look at the stretch of games for the D-backs after the Cubs, it's really not too bad. You played the Cubs this weekend. Then you play four games against the Dodgers. You got a doubleheader on Tuesday. And then after that, you play the Cubs again like you just did with the Marlins. So with the Cubs, you could take you could win two series in two weeks. And then after the Cubs, you got the Royals. You got the Dodgers again. But again, 
That's a NL West opponent. Like you got to throw the records out. So that could be a toss up series. You got the Braves after the Dodgers who have been hit or miss. And then after the Braves, you play the Reds and you play the Pirates. Like the schedule isn't too bad for the D-backs over the next couple of weeks. And it all starts against the Chicago Cubs. And if the D-backs can take two out of three against the Chicago Cubs this weekend, the next weekend, the D-backs are going to be looking pretty in that wild card race. And they might even be what? three four games above 500 by the end of next weekend at least by the end of this weekend they take two out three against the chicago cubs they'll be four games above 500 um i would have to check i'm sure d-back stats in fact our friends on twitter will have the last time the d-backs were four games above 500 it's probably been like four years so i would love the d-backs to get to that point continuing to increase the margin between um you know, increase that space between their wins and losses. Basically, I hope they just keep stacking wins and keep limiting those losses because I want to see the separation between those wins and losses get a little bit greater. Just two wins separating the wins and losses between the D-backs record right now. That's not enough. We need to go more than just two games above 500. Let's give ourselves a little cushion, and we could definitely do that against the Chicago Cubs. Excuse me, I had a little cough there. My throat is getting dry. Um, Next thing I want to see... Do we see Mark Melanson in the next save opportunity for the D-backs? Because, I don't know. He struggled in two of his last three outings, basically giving up what? I don't have the exact number. Six or seven earned runs in his last three outings. Um, and two of them, he only gave up earned runs. But still, that's a lot of earned runs recently. It makes me wonder, are the D-backs going to try to mount there the next you know high leverage moment they have, the next save opportunity they have? Are they going to put... Mark Melanson out there, or are they going to put someone like Ian Kendi out there? Maybe put Mark Melanson in a seventh or eighth inning role to help build his confidence back and kind of boost him up a little bit. Or maybe they put him in a ninth inning where the D-backs are up four runs, something like that. Who knows what they're going to do? And they could quite possibly, next save opportunity, just put Mark Melanson back out there and say, that's how you rebuild your confidence. We're just going to put you in the exact same situation, and hopefully you could get out of it this time. So... Very curious to see what the D-backs do with Mark Melanson. We've seen Ian Kendi get the shakies, and the D-backs have stayed you know, with him, basically, and haven't faltered away from Ian Kendi. So let's see if they do the same thing with Mark Melanson, because he was pretty good before this most recent outing. Before the two of the last three outings, Mark Melanson was good on the season. Now he was giving up hits with two outs, like I've been talking about, but he wasn't giving up earned runs until recently, so... Hopefully, it was more of a blip and just a bad, you know, couple outings for Mark Melanson as opposed to a trend of past their prime pitchers continuing to just falter for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The next thing I'm going to be keeping my eye on is how will Tori Lavelle continue to tinker with the lineup, specifically Alec Thomas, because as we talked about, Seth Beer has been cold, so maybe he doesn't get as much playing time as we normally are accustomed to. Do we see the big three? Uh, do we see an all-lefty outfield if there's a righty on the mound? Do we see Alec Thomas move up in the lineup? Can we see a Thomas, Varsho, Ketel Marte, one, two, three eventually? I mean, Marte's been batting like sixth and seventh a lot, mostly sixth, and then you have Thomas batting eighth or ninth a lot. Like, I would like to see them in, you know, at the top of the lineup. Also, Jordan Luplo has been so good recently at the top of the lineup. The bottom of the lineup has actually been producing a lot for Alec Thomas. So maybe that's really the thing I'm watching out for. Will the bottom of the lineup continue to produce specifically with Alec Thomas there? Because he's been a catalyst in that eight, nine hole. It's basically like having your leadoff hitter once again coming up to the plate. He's been driving in runs and getting on base from those eight, nine holes. So hopefully he can keep it going. I want to see how the D-backs utilize him. Maybe they put him back at the top or maybe they keep using him as a, cat as a catalyst at the bottom. Plus, you're going to have, you know, 
Does Perdomo get some playing time this week? If there's a lefty on the mound, maybe sit Rojas. There's just so many things that Toy Lavelle could do with this lineup. So very curious to see what he does because Perdomo, he's kind of this kind of bleeds into my next thing that I'm watching. Um, if Perdomo does get playing time, one thing I do want to see or I'm watching out for is can Perdomo finally keep a ball in play? Because how many near home runs did we see from Perdomo in this last week? Like four, five? How many? Uh, how many foul balls down the right line have we seen from Perdomo where it feels like it goes 395 feet, but it's a, a third deck foul ball, and he's crushing these balls. He's turning on these balls, but these balls are not staying fair at all. So for Perdomo, who does not have a home run yet this season, I want to see, can he finally turn on a ball and keep it fair? Because I feel like he swings a nice pat. Like I know the numbers aren't pretty for Perdomo, but he gives, honestly, what? A top two, top three uh, plate appearance on the team when he goes out there. He sees a lot of pitches. He knows how to get on base. He has a strong command of the strike zone. feel like he swings at good pitches a lot of times. He just makes contact, and it just goes right to where the defense is or it goes out of play. So for Perdomo, I want to see if he can keep a ball in play and finally get that first home run off his chest. And then the last thing I'm watching out for, I guess we're going to get to all five today, is Nick Ahmed. He's someone like Seth Beer who has been struggling over the last couple of weeks. Seven for his last 33 and two for his last 14. Can he get back on track? Because I said at the beginning of the season, Nick Ahmed is someone who I don't want to see get a ton of playing time entering the year because I feel like he has no offensive ceiling and his defense, as great as it is, is not good enough to make up for his lack of offense. And then he came back off injury and just made me look like a fool those first couple of weeks with home runs and big hits left and right, eighth inning bombs, but... Like I said, the last couple of weeks, he's been really faltering. And Perdomo, he gives you great player appearances. He gives you the same level of defense. And you're going to have Rojas most likely at third base. So I could still make the argument that maybe Perdomo should be playing over Nick Ahmed. If Nick Ahmed continues to struggle, if he doesn't get back on track, I'm fine dwindling his playing time over the course of the season. But we'll see. Maybe he'll get back on track and I'll have to type out a second apology form for Nick Ahmed. If we get there, I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. I hope Nick Ahmed is able to break out because I'd rather have breakout players than guys who are struggling. So for Nick Ahmed, let's see you get back on track, buddy. Because if you don't, I wouldn't mind uh, Geraldo Perdomo taking your job. Now, if you want to bet on Geraldo Perdomo taking Nick Ahmed's job, you need to head to BetOnline because our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, uh, one last thing I want to bring up. Um, I'm not a huge fan of baseball games, major, you know, uh, regular season games being played overseas. Uh, because it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird for the players. It's weird for the, uh, the fans. fans. I think it's terrible when they start the season. Like they started one year in Australia. They started one year in Japan. Uh, I hate that they start the season because it's like, shh, while you're asleep, we started the baseball season. Don't yeah. wake. Don't wake up. 
Major League Baseball is being played. Uh, a few years ago, the Red Sox and the Yankees played a pair of games in London. And I think the average score was 17 to 16. Uh, it was not a pitcher's paradise in London. Red Sox lost both of those games. Uh, but the games were packed, absolutely packed. And it looks like they're going to do it again. It looks like they're in 2023, 2024, and 2025. They're going to be playing uh, not exhibition games, but actual regular season games in London. Uh, I have some thoughts on this, but I, before I go into it, I want to hear what you think about bringing baseball back to Britannia. Yeah, my thoughts is, should I have strong thoughts on this? Because I guess it's cool to see baseball be expanded overseas. But it's like like you said, like why should the average or avid baseball fan care about games being played overseas? Like it's very early start times. Like I would love to go see a game in London. That sounds like a very cool experience. But as long as I'm here in America and the games are starting in London, if a D-bag game starts in London, I'm probably missing that game. Like I don't know how Lockdown Marlins host Peter Pratt does it because he lives in the UK and trying to do a crossover with him. We've been trying to link up. It is is impossible living on the west coast trying to link up with peter pratt so shout out you locked on maron's host because i don't know how you do it so for the average baseball fan like why should i care about games being played over in london like it's cool extra exposure for the game but it's not like we're gonna see that money are they gonna use that money to market the players in america better are they gonna use it to upgrade their facilities so we can have the best in-game experience are we gonna make the game better how about we focus on growing the game here increasing exposure in america before we start increasing exposure in europe and other countries because i feel like the game needs to grow here more on american soil before it grows overseas i I can see that uh i got i went to london a few years ago when i was a working for a tech company, and I got to meet uh, the man who was the head of the uh, British Baseball Federation. I uh, talked with a couple of players. I got to meet Mark Blakemore, who may very well be listening to this. He's a big Yankee fan living in London. Uh, these aren't expatriates. These are natives of the UK who are becoming big baseball fans. Uh, I, I, am, I, I think it's strange when you play these games, but they were – I talked to a couple of people who were at the games in London and they were unqualified successes in terms of the, the fans that were there, the experience of there and, you know, seeing the Red Sox and the Yankees playing there. Uh, it was, it was undeniable. That it was a success. There was a lot of, there are a lot of Yankee fans and of a lot course. of Met fans who live in London. I think there's probably a lot of uh, Red Sox fans living in Ireland. Um, and uh, for, for obvious reasons, uh, I, I'm convinced the next Mike Trout exists in a country that we're not thinking about. Okay. I'm convinced that the next Pedro Martinez, the next Barry Bonds, the next Barry Larkin, whomever it is, is playing in a, could be playing in a country that is not putting together baseball teams right now. And I'm all for making major league baseball, the hub for the best players from across the world. And I want to open up some. We've seen some players, a trickle of players who have come out of Holland. Uh, Hall of Famer Burp Lylevin was born in Holland. And I remember the Red Sox had a pitcher named Wynn Remerschwal who pitched in the Dutch national team who played a handful of games with Red Sox in the 80s. You know, at one point, like the Dominican and Puerto Rico may have seemed exotic for places to find baseball players. And now it's taken for granted. I would love to tap into Europe 
I'd love to tap into parts of Asia. I'd love to tap into Africa. I'd love to take, tap into places where we've never seen players come before. I'd love to see baseball continue to grow in some of these places. Yeah, they got to build up their they, – they have to recapture the American audience as well. I think you can do more than one thing. Yeah. And I think that baseball can be successful in Europe. I think baseball there's, – there's a fascination with American culture in Europe. Heck, if they could build a Disneyland in France, I think we can build a couple of baseball parks there. And I would love to – it was kind of the hope of the World Baseball Classic is that it would spark interest in the – you know, in, the, in some countries that would, would not normally be having Major League Baseball. And I would love to see – you know, there, there are minor league leagues in Italy and a couple other countries in Europe. I just like to see that expand and start to see players emerge from there. And maybe they'll emerge from there because there are obviously people there who have the talent to play Major League Baseball. They're just not playing baseball. Yeah, are we? that was going to be my next question. Are we going to see these Major League teams basically like own youth clubs overseas, like kind of how soccer does sure. it, where these are basically pipelines for these young players, you know, you, 16 teams, or you have all these young players on and maybe they eventually just, you know, grow into major leaguers and then I guess you could draft them out these uh, youth clubs as well. So it would be interesting. I don't know if there would be straight pipelines or you could just sign them to your team then the Yankees could own that prospect forever. And once they mature enough, they could just graduate them basically to major league level. I don't know all the particulars of that uh, or anything like that, but I guess seeing more players be picked out of, you know, crevices of around the world, that would be interesting and cool to see. But in terms of, my viewership as a fan, I don't care about baseball being played overseas. It would just be cool if we got more players from overseas that could actually help the the sport. I don't know if I want to see more minor league levels because I already feel like there's too many farm systems in Major League Baseball. Like, we have a problem paying our players. Well, maybe we should cut some of these minor league teams because we have so many levels, and I just feel like there's too much minor league teams. Well, maybe, it, like an in, maybe it'd be like independent leagues because yeah, there are lots That's of independent fair. leagues. Independent leagues in Germany and in and, – you know the thing is, I would like it, it worked in in uh, in London. I'd like to see maybe you know try it in Berlin, try it in Paris, you know, try it in Italy. You know, like I'd like to maybe see now. Maybe they're trying to put the stake in the ground in England. I've said for years that if the Red Sox had a native of Ireland on their team, they would not be able to keep that shirt on the shelf. That would just be flying off. Like if there was a guy, you know, Seamus O'Duffy from County Cork played for the Red Sox. Uh, they'd be able to sign Rafael Devers to a 10-year extension based only on the jersey sold for Seamus O'Duffy. Um, I just I want to see the best players in the world playing Major League Baseball. And I want to see baseball expand throughout the world because I think that's the next – great frontier but the yeah. next great frontier for us is to be doing a lockdown crossover every darn week hey miller thomas of your winning hey. arizona diamondbacks who currently have a better chance to go to the postseason than the defending world series champion atlanta braves or the boston red sox how does it feel 
Feels good. It feels damn good. After last season, the 52-win season, all-time road losing streak, it feels good to watch this team right now win. But I think at this point of last season, the D-backs also had like a slightly above 500 record. So let's not fall into our old habits, D-backs. Let's keep it going, please. Well, what I'm saying is that I've had you on here. I figure if we could, we, we have an opportunity to talk positively about the D-backs. I don't want that to go by the wayside because if we're still doing this in June and August and September uh, and the D-backs have slid back like – so, who do you think you're going to draft? You know, yeah. that's, that's when you got to bring in Lindsey Crosby. I don't know nothing about the draft. Oh, there you go. Well, hey, you know a lot about the Diamondbacks. Tell people where they can find you. Hey, at Creator Times 24 for my personal account, or look up Locked On Diamondbacks to both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And you can follow us at uh, Locked On MLB Pod. Same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm a Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. It's going overseas. And going into the desert and finding winners, whether it's in Arizona or in London. But they're winners, but doesn't mean they got the win. That's it for this edition of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's pod. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!